keep her through cars and a wishing well. Prayed for a love to call his own, a love to break the spell. Welcome to the Red Pill Buddhas podcast for red pilled Buddhas everywhere. Revolutionary, free thinking spiritual people who've woken up from the mainstream narrative on various levels. And I interview some of the most fascinating ones here. Please also visit thehumanunleashed.com for hundreds of hours of our video content on all areas of health, lifestyle, and much more. And theredpillrevolution.com for our five star reviewed book and subsequent publications in the Red Pill series as they come out. Right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Red Pill Buddhist podcast. And um, I've, I've got a great guest this time. Sometimes I like sort of get to get people who are well known on, sometimes less well known. Nicole, I'm sure she's up and coming, but this is Nicole Kalidis. And I, I had a, a, an interesting story about meeting Nicole because I was playing at a gig with the Daz Band and Nicole was there and we got chatting and it got on to diet and whatever. And Nicole was talking about being plant-based and uh, that kind of thing. And then when I went to a, a festival later on, a couple of months later, three months later, something like that, I can't remember. And I, I was going to play again with the Daz Band and I got out of the van and straight away, Nicole came running up and said, you'll never believe this. I'm no longer vegan. And I thought, this is great. I thought, what's she running up for? Oh, great. This is Nicole. Oh, what's she running up? She, she wasn't a militant vegan before. Is she going to attack me? And she wasn't. She ran up and said, and then, when she came up to the stall that Ben from the Human Unleashed and uh, Ben Hunt from the Human Unleashed and, and Red Pill, my colleague and co-author, was running a stall there, you know, selling a load of a load of uh, burgers and sausages and whatever. And Nicole came up a few times and started chatting. I got really passionate about certain subjects of what uh, what what veganism is doing to masculinity. And, and I thought I've got to get her on the podcast. Nicole is a love and relationships coach. And she's got some great content there. She's spot on with it. And so I really wanted to get her on for a chat. Don't know where this is going. It's not planned. But welcome, Nicole. And thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Phil, for having me. It's such an honor. <laughs> oh, no, it's an honor for me. Anyway, tell me, tell a little bit more about yourself and, 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 and how, you, uh, how you came to what you do now, how the, uh, what your interests are, what you're, what, what you're doing uh, with, with, with life, with this health and relationships. Uh, love and relationship coach and and what happens with the veganism and what blew it up what took you to it i don't know start wherever you like tell me okay. it's a long story but i'll try to be concisive so i am not english so you could probably hear from my accent i come from europe i'm half italian half greek and i was born in germany and um i moved to the uk only in 2014 and I moved here with my now ex-husband and my son. I just had one at the time. And I became vegan because of his best mate dying suddenly with a heart attack. And I started researching about health matters and what is the best diet to stay healthy and so on. Health has always been something I was really passionate about. In fact, in very, very long time ago now, <laughs> I feel old, uh, but uh, in 2009, uh, 2010, I started my journey of, uh, well, 
studying NLP and how to rewire um, communication, relationships, your life, your way of leading yourself in the world. And I did follow a lot. Tony Robbins went to a few of his events, spent a lot of money, and it was all very worth it. And in one of those events, he said something along the lines of, I don't eat dead bodies. <laughs> so that for me was like a, a punch in the face <laughs> on the nose. And it was kind of uh, an awakening moment for me because I didn't want to, I never made a connection before of eating animals and blah, blah, blah. So I was struck by it and I stopped eating meat back then. And my Lord, did it affect my health in, in some good ways and in some bad ways? Because for some time, my body coped really well. I lost a lot of weight. I regained confidence. And my personal journey to becoming a love and relationships coach is very much intertwined with uh, my journey into growing back into myself, into finding my truth, into finding my balance, into finding myself and love for myself uh, in order to have healthy relationships. And food is also a relationship with yourself. And <laughs> so it's part of it. It's all connected. And for me, it was trying to stay healthy, but then I started becoming unhealthy in the last year. I started noticing that I was feeling very, very weak. Physically, I got ill a lot. And I, I just pointed it at, you know, being, uh, you know, stressed, single mom and everything else. And I just thought it was the amount of stress that was wearing me down. But then I realized that actually I was severely anemic and um, that was a contributing factor in me having such a low immune defenses and needing a bit of change again in my life and going back to the origins really and going back to eating meat. So I am very enthusiastic now about eating meat again. And I felt the difference massively. <laughs> so I'm grateful. Yeah, cool. That was a surprise to me, but it's lovely to see that, you know, and, 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 and it's good, I think, the way you think about it, because you, you had a great open mind about it. And some of, some of them, they get, you know, to really, really down that sort of rabbit hole of the animal deaths and things. And they don't look into how many have happened with the crops and that, that sort of thing with the crop agriculture. And, and then the spiritual thing, which drives me nuts, you know, and they're all gone about shamanism and this and that. And, you know, all the, all the indigenous shaman eat tons of meat anyway. You know, it is, it's amazing how it's been, how it's been, we've, you, you know, we've been lied to and fooled down the ages by the, uh, by the elites. But what, what really fascinated me was, was when you came up to the stall and you started to chat about vegan men and that kind of thing and what it's doing to masculinity and, I mean, t tell us about this, because I think this is something that people are not really thinking about. I mean, you know, in the in the sort of carnivore community and, and, and other communities, there's always this expression, the soy boy and whatever. And it's, uh, you know, a bit disparaging. And but but there is a certain element of truth to it. And it messes the hormones around. We've seen it so many times. And I mean, you know, in when people go carnivore, we're seeing people, uh, you, you know, they, they, they would perhaps have. Um, you know, they'd be impotent or something. And then suddenly they're like an 18 year old again. And, 
and and the women get their periods back and then and then also they're conceiving very easily which they weren't on a vegan diet but you took it further into exactly how it's destroying the male what's going on there that was brilliant well, what I've noticed and witnessed personally was that uh, men in, in a, on a vegan diet are extremely in their feminine polarity. They're extremely detached from their inner masculine. So they are literally into constant need of validation and meltdowns, meltdowns. There is no other way to describe it. It's this inconsistency in their emotional stability that causes a lot of issues in relationships because what it does, this lack of stamina of probably hormones as well um, and all of it, it just weakens them to the point of them being a very, very weak version of themselves. They are enabled to step up into being the man that provides and leads. They are in this submissive mode of needing to follow and it weakens them in all aspects it weakens them physically mentally sexually on every level and the level of attraction that you experience towards a demon is a fraction of what you will have towards a masculine man if you are a feminine woman because if you're in your feminine you are that you are the the home, you are the nurturing, you are the creativity, you are the flow, you are everything mobile, <laughs> everything that goes up and down like the waves of the ocean, because you are in the flow of being feminine. We are emotions. Emotions and creativity, that's the purpose of being in a feminine body. So when you are in that kind of diet, you kind of want to be that instead of wanting to be stepping up and being the provider, the father, the archetype of the warrior. And you become weak. Yeah, it, it was it was something I've never really thought of before in that in, in, in that sort of um, context, because you see a lot of vegan couples and they look they sort of start to sort of look a bit like each other, you know. Asexual. Yes, yes, and but but I've never thought that really deep down, you know, in, in from the woman, they're they're kind of disappointed, and they probably are, but they're not admitting it that something's going a little bit wrong there with with their with their male. It's even worse. The women are in their masculine as fuck. Yeah. You will see a lot of women very militant about their veganism and very much in their masculine. They're in warrior mode. They are completely out of balance. They are completely detached from their inner feminine. And they are completely in this warrior mode because behind, behind them, there isn't a strong man. So they have to provide for themselves. So that creates a whole le new level of imbalance in the couple. And they become so much alike that they are the best supporters of the 50-50 culture. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, and and what do you think you know how nowadays they're they're pushing all these sort of 150 genders and trying to split up the family unit and all that kind of thing i mean this must be so useful don't you think that the whole plant-based thing for, for for um helping that kind of thing along i think it's very much connected because the more you push into that into that 
mind frame, you're pushed into that absence of polarity in all of your relationship. You're also pushed away from yourself, which makes you very, very vulnerable to these kind of things. So you're very vulnerable to confusion. You're confused about yourself. Where do I belong? I don't fit in anywhere. I'm just this blob that doesn't have a sex or a gender. So it's very easy at that point to manipulate you because you lack the group. What happens when, you, when your role and your identity is well-defined is that you're self-standing. You stand in your truth by yourself. You will attract your peers, but you don't need that. You don't need that need of validation. You don't have that need of validation. But when you don't have that and you're shook from your core, you know, you're taken away from your very identity, you need external validation because otherwise you're in pain. And without that validation that comes from external people around you, you are isolated and alone and in pain because you don't belong anywhere. So it's very easy to manipulate you. That's the perfect scenario for a psychopath to abuse a victim. They isolate them. It's a very effective way. If you want to control somebody, isolate them. Absolutely. I mean, this this is what's been going on for, you know, these last two years. It's been very, very evident, hasn't it? You know, a lot of people are in the house, that kind of thing. And and our, our, our next book, The Red Pill Food Revolution, is, is really going deep into how they've done this with food, you know, and, 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 and how they fooled us forever, you know, about, about what is the ancestral human diet. And taking it as far away from it as possible and all through all through the centuries there's been um you know the elites the rulers the whatever they've 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 given the, the slave class they've given them the grains and all that kind of thing to make them weak and, and susceptible you know they're just expendable or how does klaus put it the useless eaters and so yeah but this uh you know this um this idea about the relationships and i think this is so powerful that you know, people are always looking for somebody else, you know, to, to validate themselves. And, you know, talk about a bit more about that, the importance of really accepting yourself for who you are. Because, you know, I remember when I wasn't, I was always sort of desperate for somebody to 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 be with me. And and I only found the partner who I've I've really I've been with 17 years now. And we're we're just fantastic. When I'd kind of figured out who I was, and then suddenly the right person seems to fall into place. But I think this is really important for people to hear because everybody's sort of searching for somebody else to validate themselves. That's what I used to do too. That's my journey too, because I ended up being married to somebody that didn't even resonate with me because I needed somebody, but I didn't know myself. I didn't know what I needed, wanted and desired in my life. So everything will do basically. It's <laughs> just whatever comes your way will fulfill the role for some time. Because at some point, then it will start hurting. You will feel uncomfortable. You feel not really loved. You don't feel connected. You don't feel anything for somebody that is just filling the void. Okay, so you just don't feel aligned to. There is no heart involved there. There is just this filling the role, which is something that a lot of people live. And it's living a lie, basically. You're married, but you're not really. Because you're just roommates. Uh, at at best and 
housemates in the worst case scenario. So the thing is that when you start realizing who you are, it will happen through relationships because paradoxically, the lack of not having what you want and need will show you who you are. We learn through relationships who we are. That's why we engage in relationships when we're young and dumb because we need to still know what our preferences are, what our needs are. And there is no better way to learn that rather than through a relationship. But yeah, when you actually align yourself to your truth, that's when the right person comes along. So how would you, how would you, if somebody comes to you, how would you help them to find their own truth? What are the kind of steps to do that? Well, there is, I actually created a program for this that is called Magnetize, Magnetize Soulful Love. And that's exactly what I teach in that program. I teach them to connect to themselves in order to be able to align to their soulmate mm -hmm. and to their soulmates at large, because we don't have only one. We have many. We have many that walk the this earth at the same time as us and our, our friends, family, and they, they subscribe to being with us for every lifetime before as well. So you just recognize them when you meet them. This is a fascinating thing. I, I wrote, it's, it's just reminded me of it actually recently because I wrote a novel probably about 2002. It's called An Illusion of Maya. And a lot of it is autobiographical, trying to explain a relationship I had with somebody who was bipolar at the time and going around India with them. But there's a whole load of other stuff and, and looking at past lives. And, and there was some sort of 15th century Bedouin life as well. And, and uh, Kirk, who you know, the guitarist in the Daz Band, is reading it at the moment, really loving it. And she keeps reminding me of bits of it and saying, I love this bit and I love that bit. And I'd forgotten about it for years. It's out there somewhere. But I think I wrote at one point in there that somebody had said, you know, if you see your soulmate in a room, just turn around and run away. But it's 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 in a way, it's just like you it can get complicated here, you know, but it's it takes some courage to do it. And also the idea that there are um, multiple soulmates. And I think um, it, it's I don't even know now since writing that whether they're past lives or parallel lives or how time actually works. It's a kind of a fascinating thing, isn't it? But it's it's amazing at the moment, I think, with all of this crap going on and, and how when we've been to these kind of events and whatever and, and, and what it is that we do, we're finding more of these soulmates. Don't you find that? Have you found some people who really resonate? It's just crazy. It's just crazy. Through two groups I am on, well, Carry On Camping, the event, and another group that actually is how I actually found Carry On Camping is um, the biggest group of soulmates I've ever found. It's freaking crazy, but I personally feel that we are starting to come together with our original branch of soulmates because we've got clusters we are in clusters we are created in clusters of souls at the same time it's like they were our brothers and sister twin brothers and sisters that come to existence at the same time as us and we are all separated groups and i researched a lot about it i read michael newton's books uh, which are of incredible knowledge and understanding of the subject and i've been finding 
many of my soulmates and we both recognize each other like at the same time like looking at each other and say we know each other <laughs> it's the first time we see each other in this life but we know each other <laughs> so it's it's crazy and then we've got a primary soulmate we all do and it's usually a person that we've took well a soul that we chose to repeat lifetime after lifetime together on a romantic level and it doesn't always turn out okay because we learn through these experiences these different lives but you know it's important that they do exist because that's how we actually grow as a soul and not just this human form this is just a temporary suit we're going to come back again yeah yeah i with with my experiences with that it's 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 funny sometimes it's almost like taking a break if you if you're with somebody who doesn't have that deep connection, it can also be, it also be a kind of relief now and again. You think, oh, it's sort of like a bit of recreation or whatever before you get back to the serious work. Because <laughs> it almost feels like these people that you meet, it's, it's, it forces you into that work, don't you think? You know, the, the people that we've met, and it's not just romantic relationships, but some of these relationships, like the guys in, in The Red Pill and The Human Unleashed, like I met Graham first, I felt so close to him, and then... Jeremy I met and it was only the second time I'd run into him and he was at my house and Graham came around and he was he'd only been there for like 15 minutes and Graham said I assumed you'd been to school together <laughs> and it's great isn't it and, and these people yeah. are turning up more and more and, and there's always sort of another one and another one and they pop in we're gathering so, yeah so do you think it's it's also at times like this where people come together when they have some proper work to do as well it's not only about the work, it's mainly about the support we are giving each other. Mm. And then, yeah, with some, we will have some karmic lessons to fulfill. That happens. But mainly we are there as mirrors to each other. Relationships are always mirrors, whether they are your soulmate or not. They're always a highlight to what needs healing in yourself. For example, I can make you a practical example because that's how we actually understand better um when it comes to relationships even if it's not a soulmate it's just another soul group that you never interacted before we probably never will interact again but in, with this specific soul you decide to operate through a karmic lesson for example and you need to go through it and this person agreed to be your antagonist, for example, okay? They do something really horrible to you. In order for you to, to understand the lesson behind it, let's make a practical example. A woman gets raped. Her aggressor agreed with her before coming here to incarnate and being her antagonist. That's the perception that everyone would have, all right? The antagonist. The truth is, in this case, for example, this woman has the chance to learn something in a very harsh way, but nonetheless, it's a lesson. It's not a life sentence, it's a lesson. There is probably there some boundaries that she needs to be able to learn to have. There is probably some trauma from previous life experience that she needs to tend to. For example, if she froze or she fawned or she fought, whatever the, the outcome is, whatever happened, she has something to work through, to learn from that experience. 
this person decided to show her an aspect of herself that she was not conscious of. That's what this really is. I think that's a, a brilliant way of looking at it. And it would sort of freak people out and upset a load of people going, oh, well, so it's my fault, is it? And all that kind of thing. But you've oh. got to see it on, a, on, on that level. I remember seeing um, Byron Katie working on somebody once who had been horrifically abused repeatedly by their own father, you know, and going through a, an experience of, of being abused when the father took her out in a car on her birthday, you know, for some kind of treat and then ended up stopping and, and sort of abusing her. And it was over and over again. And I thought how she's going to deal with this and bring this woman around to realizing that there was something creative to come out of this. And I thought I was putting myself in her shoes at the moment, at the time. And I thought in front of an American audience, try and turn it around to that. I'd just run away. I'd go, I'm not dealing with that, you know, but she did it beautifully and ended up having this, this woman laughing and the audience laughing. And it was beautiful. It's not to take away from the seriousness of it, but to realize the, 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 the potential that one can get from something like that where otherwise it sits and festers. Is that the kind of thing that you're... Precisely yeah. that. Every experience, as painful as it is, it's there for a lesson. It's never against you. It's always for you. And I know it. The, in the pain, when you're in the pain, it sucks. You're just fed up. Like, why is this happening to me? Because you agreed to it. Yes. That's why. Yeah, that's nice. And you don't remember it. That's why you're upset about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I find that at really low times, I mean, it was right, like I wrote my, my book. I called my, my last book, Arthritis, the best thing that ever happened to me. Because it brings you to all of these things. I wouldn't be doing anything I do nowadays if it wasn't for that. You know, and, and at these times, and sometimes I, I still get really down and people go, you know, oh, you've been on these spiritual podcasts and you've had these awakenings and stuff like that. Well, why, why do you ever get down? Well, because that's part of the human experience. You don't fight it, you accept it. And then when I do, I, I've had a couple of days of it now and it always excites me. I mean, I'm just exhausted from things like selling houses and trying to buy one, this one at the same time and complications and things going wrong and delays and solicitors and this and that and exhausted as well with so many gigs and festivals and and I just feel so run down. And yet it, it excites me because I think, where's it going now? You know, because always after a couple of days of that, you find it's a kind of a breakthrough. So you sort of sit there in the misery, quite excited. Where's it going next? You know, it's going to be good. It's true. I had a really tough, tough, tough week last week. I completely relate to that. And I recently posted about it on Facebook about the fact that I still have days where I really feel shit I feel sad I cry I have my low moments it doesn't mean that human experience doesn't mean perfection there is no such a thing as perfection just because you're doing you've done your healing it doesn't mean that your life will be magically happy all the time it doesn't mean that you will never get angry that you never get frustrated that you'll never feel sad that you never feel grief because you will feel all of that it's normal, but what you will do with it is different. The time of your getting back on your feet is different. Like I experienced some things in my past that took me years to recover from. I repeated the experience and that was a test. And 
I recovered within days. The same event that took me a decade to overcome once took me a few days. That's because you know what to do to heal yourself. And I'm not a superhuman. I'm just a normal, regular human being and like everyone else. But it's very important to be able to do this for yourself because it's how you, the input you create in the world is completely different. Yeah, and, and, and the healing is on all levels as well. It's fascinating watching it, isn't it? Because the healing, when... when I had a, a wonderful interview uh, a while ago on my other podcast, 100% Carnivore. No, Carnivore and Beyond, it was called, with Brett Lloyd. And, and he's done a lot of interviews recently. And he has he had just horrific, um, deep depression for decades, you know. And he was just in tears on the podcast a few times but with, the, with the memory of the when he realized that a fully carnivore diet, absolutely no plants, pulled him out of that depression. It's all he needed you know, and then he could work on stuff. But for me, it was, I remember going into the, in my healing sort of in 2010, 2011, and a friend of mine coming around and saying, you know, I was faffing around with all the diets and studying all of this. And when I thought I knew it all, but obviously it wasn't working. So I was panicking and running around the diets. And then a friend came along and said, have you tried all the emotional stuff? You tried this emotional healing. And I'm like, I'm a great yogi. I've been a yogi for decades. I don't need that crap. You know, and, and it was so arrogant. It really was because that's exactly what I needed. And once I got the hang of looking at it and looking what an idiot I was and how everything comes from the subtle to the gross, you know, the, 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 the problems start up. Like I often say with a, like a shaman when in the, in the tribes, imagine you'd go to a shaman, you'd say, well, I'm having this weird dream and it's sort of recurring and this, and they'd say, all right, let's work on that. Let's look at what that's bringing up. Whereas if you go to your GP, you know, say, well, I'm having this bit of a weird dream. He goes, right, well, fuck off and come back when your leg's fallen off. You know, they, they're not interested. Whereas, whereas it comes it comes through from the subtle to the gross. And it, we're taught not to listen to these whispers. And then we're taught to listen to all the pharma companies when something does go wrong, which is totally the wrong thing. And on every area, our power is being taken away. But when you can see how they come from the subtle to the gross, I mean, I see people taking their symptoms down, even if the root is emotional. Once you're on the right diet and you're you're no longer that unstable emotional flakery, you know, of veganism and whatever and other plant-based diets, then you can start to look at the emotions much more honestly as well. You're a lot more grounded. Yeah. A lot more grounded. It's true. And um, personally, I've noticed myself becoming stronger emotionally and quicker at processing even even than before and I I was I was quite good before but now I'm really fast Uh, it's quite surprising for me to see how fast I can process real tough shit but it's it's because I am allowing myself to be fully the thing is that when you are emotionally trained to assist yourself you're emotionally in touch with yourself you're able to listen more to the subtle things, not only regarding yourself, but the world at large. So you hear the whispers for a lot of other things. It's, it's really incredible. It's like having superhuman powers, but you, you're just perfectly normal. <laughs> That's the crazy thing, because you do things that look a bit impossible, but you do them anyways, because you just can. <laughs> It's just crazy. And when 
men especially have been taught for such a long time that they are bad intrinsically. So they try to become this kind of woman, woman in a male's body. They try to convince men that they have to do that because let's face it, a family without men is very, very easy to destroy. It's very easy to control because I'm a single woman with two kids and I feel the lack of protection. I feel that lack of somebody behind me being able to provide that stability structure that is the masculine. I feel that lack and it's so much easier for them to being able to control me as a single parent rather than if I was with a healthy husband, a healthy mentally, emotionally, physically husband. And, you know, that's the game after all. That's the game. That's what they played. And they played it so well because with feminism, they came in and destroyed masculinity, the old version of the masculinity, which was not an integrated masculinity. Let's face this as well, because it was a toxic version of the masculinity, an entitled version of the masculinity that we actually do need because masculinity is not toxic. Masculinity is powerful and very much needed. And there is an epidemic of, of lack of masculinity in this world. What we need to heal is this because men are needed and strong mentally and emotionally and physically, the whole thing. And that's why they need to come back to who they really are, which means being in their feminine and coming back to masculinity because the the journey is this way. For women, we are taught to be like boys. We need to perform like boys, right? We need to be stable and always reliable and yeah, stable. Stable is the right word, right? If you're if you're emotional, you're a hysterical girl. So you can't be that. You need to be masculine to be reliable, okay? And then boys are taught to be feminine in touch with their emotions and they become the feminine. So what needs to be happening is women need to come back to their feminine and integrate their masculine aspect because they also need to be able to have a little bit of independence because otherwise you're, you're completely powerless and you might attract predators. And for men, it needs to be happening the opposite. They need to go from developing a healthy feminine and swapping back in their masculine to become a healthy full man yeah that integration uh, needs to happen yeah i think that's perfect it, it got a little bit crazy for a while didn't it 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 um you know like when you see these wonderful sort of marriage guidance books from the 40s and 50s and whatever you know, they're hilarious, some of it, you know, exactly what a woman should do when the man comes home from work, you know, and all these I ridiculous instructions. And then, and then sex, let out a small moan to show your appreciation and things like that, but don't let him do too much. You know, I just, 
hilarious nonsense, you know, and exactly how you should do your hair and get all the kids away and get them quiet before he comes home from work. And it got absolutely ridiculous. <clears throat> so that needed to be blown up, but now he's gone too far the other way. It's funny when you said uh, Mary was talking to Mary Ruddick on the last podcast, you know, and she was talking about how happy these indigenous tribes are. They know exactly who they are. The males know who they are, what they're supposed to do. The women know what they're supposed to do. And the kids, they're all just smiling, laughing all the time. She had this one lovely image of this kid coming along and sitting in her lap and just giggling. And then she realized that she was just giggling. And then like hours later, they were still there just giggling at each other. <laughs> it was just this pure happiness of this moment that went on and on. Yeah, just absolute joy. And, and these people are like that. And we don't know who we are. And when we say who we are, then it's it's toxic masculinity or you're being, you know, very sexist or something. It's, it's unbelievable. So what are all the ways that they're breaking this down now, you know, that you see? I mean, this ridiculous thing about, you know, what's a school in Scotland where they don't allow the boys to wear shorts, but they do allow them to wear skirts. <laughs> and it's not, what about the... Um, That's child abuse, by the way. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And all these drag queens going around the schools now and doing these performances. I mean, what's going on with this nonsense? I mean, this is all part of the de-individualization. Because if you take away the identity of a person, what is left, really? It's a blob. It's a mess. It's... It's it's not a person. It's not a person. A confused person is a danger to herself or himself to begin with because they will make really dumb choices. And the fact that they are allowing kids as young as four years old to start transitioning, that is fucking criminal. Criminal. Because a four-year-old doesn't have the capacity to understand they don't and i have two boys i'm raising two boys on my own which is particularly hard i can tell you because i'm a woman and i can nurture their feminine side but i'm really hoping that they will find the role models of men they will find their masculine role model because i cannot provide that i am not a man i cannot teach them how to be a man i would never go to a man and tell them look you need to be this because I don't know, I'm not a man. How the hell do I know? I can help a woman because I know exactly what the steps are. But when it comes to a man, and I tried coaching men, but it didn't, I don't feel it works the same way as with a woman because I am not a man. I can give them the feminine perspective, but then it requires them to do the work by themselves, which is particularly difficult. But when it comes to a woman, it's it's natural because I made those steps to begin with. So it's easy. It's like learning the steps of a choreography when you're dancing. It's like, do this, 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 this. Okay, done. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the thing. When when you are actually allowing yourself to be in your feminine, you are allowing yourself in a state of flow. And in the masculine, you're actually in the state of leading which is something that you saw in these last two years, how lacking it was. How many men did we have and how many women did we have in the movement? Especially at the start, it was terrible because we were all women. 
Well, you see, I think you probably have to teach us more about chest feeding and becoming pregnant. Oh, no. <laughs> have you seen that nonsense? Not allowed to say breastfeeding anymore. It's chest feeding. That's one of the things that got me blocked on Facebook a couple of times. I got I got told off by Zuckerberg because, yeah, I, I don't stand with that. I breastfed seven years, both my boys. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. And it was something I did because it's so important for kids and it's so important as well for for a woman to do that because I've noticed I used to be a nanny many years ago I used to work as a nanny in childcare, and one of the things that I could see was a different kind of bonding that was present between moms that were breastfeeding and moms that were not and this is not mom shaming because I love all moms and I think they're all great those that are healthy because there are unhealthy mothers as well let's face it we're not all perfect like there is toxic fathers there is also toxic mothers and they did a great deal of damage to men as well and children in general they gave generational trauma to a lot of kids so there is no such a thing as mom is always good mom is always caring mom always loves you no it's not true there is good and good and good enough mothers and there is bad mothers there is both so what i've seen is that these mothers that were breastfeeding not only found it easier to actually bond with their child but it was also easier for them to tend to their emotional needs not only the physical needs but also the emotional needs because when you're breastfeeding you're literally trained by nature by your baby to actually be attuned to their facial expressions to their every movement when you sleep you sleep and you wake up instantly as soon as they move especially if you're co-sleeping that's the best thing to do when you've got a baby you literally wake up as another soon as another thing another thing they teach us is dangerous yeah because i was sleeping yeah, because yeah, why would you ever leave a baby alone? Why? What animal have you ever seen abandoning their baby and leaving it there and just going their merry way and doing their business? What mammal have you ever seen doing that? Hmm. Not even yeah. a situation of danger. <laughs> you just grab your baby and run. You don't just leave the baby there. <laughs> Exactly. I've never understood it. I mean, in both my families, I have uh, a son of 32 and uh, kids of 13 and, and seven now. And, and in both the families I've had, there's always been, you know, the kids are in the bed and, and, and that's it. You know, it's the idea of getting a, a newborn baby and then putting them in a cot in another room with, a, with a, some sort of EMF device to tell you when it's woken up. Very bizarre. No, that's 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 not natural. That's not normal. That's actually um, a residue from Victorian age, mm. when they thought that you know the bacteria fear, they were scared of bacteria, so they kept kids away from the, themselves because they were scared of killing them accidentally. That's also the same time where formula was invented, the first attempt to formula, because they thought it would be better than nursing from your mother's breasts so that's the craziness and that was all to detach yourself from the baby so that baby can go away from you 
and one you detach baby, you're no, if you give baby formula, mom is no longer necessary. Mom is no longer required to be in close proximity. Whether if you're breastfeeding, mom is required to be in close proximity because otherwise baby cries, <laughs> simple as. And you don't want a baby crying. You cannot stand a baby crying when you're breastfeeding. You just cannot because you start leaking. So it's not fun. I can tell you that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's completely to detach, to break the bond, to not allowing you to be in touch with your baby and with yourself. Because as a mother, what I noticed was that I was really struggling to stay away from my babies. I was physically feeling distressed like anxious and tense because I was away physically from my babies if I was going away without them, even just for a couple of minutes because I could not read their face and know that they were okay. That's how crazy it is, but that's how it is. That's mammals. Mammals' instincts are still there. We're still human, even if we pretend to be a different kind of species that is not required to nurse their babies and being in touch with them and raise them and nurture them throughout their childhood because we delegate yeah. it now yeah and what do you what, what do you think this does you know did what do you think this did to a sort of generation of bottle-fed infants what happened to them later on in life do you think this caused a load of issues i'm sure it did from back then being well it's separated a from the mother it's huh? a bond broken. It's a bond broken because if mom is not required, mom will stay away. If mom knows that baby is settled without her at some point, she will detach herself. And that means that she no longer has that instant nonverbal communication that she would have if she was breastfeeding. And I've noticed it because they are slower in picking up distress signs. Whether me, breastfeeding mom, as soon as I heard that, ah, from my baby, I was like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> Instantly attuned to the baby. A, a formula-fed baby would not receive the same instant response unless mother was extremely anxious person. In that case, yes, <laughs> overreactive anyways, but not overreactive from a good place. Overreactive because she's in turmoil in, in, internally. That's a different story. It's a completely different thing. And the outcome is not as good either. So because our babies pick up on our emotional state, there is a lot of nonverbal communication. Like I learned to read faces really very well when I became a mother, because you literally read your baby's face. All the micro expressions, they tell you so much if you know what you're looking at. And when you don't have to do this job to attune yourself to the baby so deeply that you instantly recognize every, everything that can be going on with the baby, it's very difficult to be able to be the same kind of um, instantly attuned parent while they're growing up. So that leads to lack, lack of understanding, lack of communication, lack of love in the physical way, the touch, the touchy-feely parts that we're still not used to having because we're not used to having that anymore. It's uncomfortable nearly. A lot of people struggle with touch. Yeah, yeah, they do. And 
I just think everything there at the moment seems to be to do with breaking up this family unit because I remember when I was a kid, because I'm an old bastard now, you know, I'm 60 now. And I remember growing up in the in the in the 60s and 70s, and my dad went out to work and he earned easily enough money for, for the family. And now you don't earn that kind of money. And so they force the women to go out to work, and then the women are encouraged to go out to work, and then the kids go into some kind of uh, daycare thing you know where they get fed with all the government nonsense you know whether it's food or knowledge and all of that and everything seems to be breaking it down <clears throat> and it's going on and on now isn't it with this sort of hoax that that putin's causing this um you know spiraling energy costs and all that nonsense that was happening way before that and so you know do you think how, how do you feel about what's going on now at, at, the, at the sort of i've seen you at, you know at these sort of events and whatever and you're obviously very awake to all of this thing. Do you think it's just stupidity in the way that society is going? Or, or do you think there's some real monsters up the top who are doing this deliberately? How do you feel what's going on now? It's done on purpose. This is to gain control over people. It's the easiest way. And they started it, exactly what you said, the childcare and everything else, is deliberately to make it impossible for you to change the status quo. They created a status quo. They created feminism and they initially said, you need to be independent. Look, you need to be free from this monster of your husband. You need to be able to leave him. So I'll put you in a situation where you can actually do that. Thank you, because otherwise I would still be married. I appreciate that part. <laughs> but nonetheless, I can tell you that that is not um, not done for us. <laughs> it's done deliberately in order to weaken everything, every bond. Because if family is made with the right person, that creates the fact that you have to sustain a family nowadays, you need two people working, creates the situation where you need to leave your children with somebody external to the family. Because very likely you also moved away from family, the original big family that we used to have around us. I mean, I'm living in the UK, my mom is in Italy, my dad in Germany, and my aunt is in Greece. So you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm alone here. I don't have a network around me uh, apart from my friends. So it's the perfect scenario this to make us dependent on the system. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Jeremy always says, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. It's true. And it does. And, you, you know, you see it in, in these, these indigenous cultures where you're only supposed to really know like 100 faces. Otherwise, it just gets confusing. And now we've got, I mean, I don't know, on Facebook, I've got like four and a half thousand friends or something. I don't know them. I, I don't know 4,000 of them, probably. <laughs> you, know? you just, yeah, you just get these weird requests. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's it, Detta, my missus, you know, she has a huge family in Tanzania and, and, well, some of them are in Tanzania, some of them are in America, some of them Sweden, some of them, and everybody ends up everywhere and it's just yeah. breaking this up, isn't it? Yeah. But I think, I mean, do you think there's some hope in this? Because people are, again, coming back to the soulmate thing, they're finding their families, they're wanting to get into smaller communities, they're getting, I mean, even in music now. I have no desire, having seen the, the, the horrendous nature of the music business and what it was and how I'm glad that I never got a major record deal when we were so close in so many decades over the years. 
I'm so glad I never got that. You know, I want to be able to play for small audiences now who really enjoy it. I want to be able to bring up kids with a small group of people around, you know. And and how, how do you see this forming now? Do you think we might actually be going in the right directions in some places? We're here to break the to break to the world the change that we want to see in it. We need to bring it in. We are here to create that change. So yes, I think that this this is the reason why we're coming together. And paradoxically, I still believe in the fact that the more they push us down into control, the more people will wake up. That's like it's like a spring that pushes them up, their heads up suddenly, and they say, "Oh, look at this surrounding. I don't like it." So. I think that's the perfect scenario. The more you push for control, the more people you will wake up accidentally, clearly, but the more they will, that will actually start changing things and finding each other and create new groups of families that are not bond by blood, but are bond by soul. Like it's a completely different bond, which is probably even deeper than the family bond because family bonds is great and it's immensely powerful, but you can have equal soul family and it's equally strong and powerful. And probably you can do even more because when you're all aligned on the same purpose and on the same path, it becomes like a big, uh, well, like a big torch in the dark, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, I'd... I do hope so. It's funny, isn't it? Because in, in all of this, I mean, we we probably saw through it in the first five minutes, really, how what nonsense this was at the beginning of 2020. Yeah. And you see it straight away. And, and you still do get those, you get these periods of great excitement and great um, positivity. But there's always these sort of days where you go, God, come on, can it go any faster than this? Can How is it that there are even people still wearing muzzles now and doing all that kind of, what's going on? It's just, you know, like, like Graham always says, uh, uh, one of our other co-authors, you know, I mean, it's just a massive IQ test that most people have failed repeatedly. It's true. It's sadly very true. What's it going to take? And I, I, I always think now that if there is going to be a time when some of these elites are sort of dragged into the street and dismembered, it's not going to be by us. It's going to be by the people who they fooled, the people who they sort of jabbed four times, who are now seriously got some issue the kids that they've they forced to do it you know that was really criminal absolutely criminal and and those are going to be the angry people you can see them now when they're getting interviewed on thing i think you know um the high wire del big tree's doing a great job there with bringing this out you know and interviewing some of these people and uh, and even uk column are doing it now and 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 it's even creeping onto the mainstream is it i don't know how long gb news is going to last they're actually bringing something out in fact i just somebody sent me something today sean baker's in england it's a shame because you know sean baker is the sort of the sort of carnivore dude you know in in, in the, the the best known carnivore influencer and doc and and asim malhotra who's the cardiologist who's been going on about you know all the horrible things in diet and stuff I saw the picture of them sort of standing next to each other with, uh, you know, Sean about 10 times the size of Asim. And um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a big sort of just trains and, you know, he's got sort of world records in this and that. And, and that they're on, on GB News. I haven't looked it up yet, but somebody sent me that. And these things are filtering on, you know, on all these levels. And, and I do hope that, uh, I, d I do hope that it will wake people up. I don't know. I, I, I find that 
a lot of people now who were who were uh, very asleep at the start of it are now starting to wake up with awful things that have happened to them or to relatives or whatever. But I wonder if it's, it's 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 just a matter of not admitting you're wrong. How good is it being wrong? You you come to new info, you know. In your life, haven't you sort of found out you're wrong, and then you get excited about finding something else? But these people have such egos; they can't admit to being wrong. They'd rather they'd rather lie to themselves and self gaslight. Yes, self gaslight is a real thing. Mm. It's just another version of actually, um, yeah, really lying to yourself, and and just you would you would go to extremes to protect that lie because everything else otherwise would cr would crumble miserably. So you will stick up with that lie for dear life because everything will crumble literally like all of your identity, all of your actions in life, everything will crumble if you realize how big your mistake was. So you'd rather, you'd rather not, you just leave it as it is and pretend yeah and it's such a shame isn't it because like so you know that game jenga or whatever it is where you pull one little thing out and then and then everything falls down and but it's such a it's such a beautiful experience when you go through something like that it would it would be great if we can get these people to um well they do it in their own time they're on their own path aren't they but you know one thing that they pull out and then everything collapses and you can see it happen people are so frightened of it they're so frightened of change Every time that you want to create change, you will create resistance to change. Mm. It's inevitable because change is a threat to the status quo. So when you threat that, you will always find people that will fight with everything they've got in order to keep hold of what they think they've got. But it's an illusion, clearly. They are in an illusion thinking they know the truth and they cannot see the truth because they don't want to see the truth because change is a threat to these people. They just don't like change. Have you ever met somebody in your life where you're just like resistant to change? They will always do the same thing. It doesn't matter the outcome they get. Like they will keep trying. It's like people that send dick pics. Sorry, but I have to say that. Like, have you ever gotten a date after sending a dick pic? Please tell me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I bet my ass you didn't because that doesn't work but they will still keep doing that because they are resistant to change yeah I think if that's your only chat up line you're in some serious trouble yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah I resistance to change a woman that actually went out on a date with somebody that sent a dick pic I have never never ever no, neither have I. I've only seen sort of horrendous disappointment or jokes about it. But <laughs> yeah. I, you know, that's that's it, really. I think uh, I, I, this resistance to change, yeah, you've hit on something there. I mean, for me, I, the closed-minded nature of people just drives me mad. And I think it's because my mother was, you know? Sorry, Mum, but you were, you know? And she never changed her whole life. And I remember my father once saying to her, you know, Marjorie, have you ever been wrong? <laughs> this was this was after they'd been together for like 50 years or something you know I remember him saying that and I thought 
yeah I know I know what you mean and you know I mean she was great to me and she took care of me even breastfed me you know and you realize the importance of it and everything but then again you know just that that sort of unbelievable closed-mindedness it is it is very weird which I think has given me a a particular dislike for it you know when you see somebody who just will not change and and uh it's maddening really yeah feel the potential if only they <laughs> and that is what a lot of people put up with for the rest of their lives they stay with somebody that does not want to change mm. thinking if only they they stay there yeah that's that's bad when you start thinking if only isn't it that's a that's a real um that's a real red flag there yeah and it's not about the other person at that point it's about your your responsibility to your to yourself towards yourself to say this is not what i want yeah and that's how you take your power back and you actually start making the changes that you need to exactly and you get so many people um who say right we're staying together for the kids and it's it's such a weird one isn't it because it's never for the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've all tried it. I tried it in my first marriage. And I mean, my 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 first Mrs. Nikki, you know, she's great. She's great. We just weren't the right match. You know, obviously we were for that specific thing and have this amazing son, Tom. And and now, to be honest, she's doing some great work, actually, sort of getting all this funding together to make people aware of GMOs and, and all this, you know, horrible stuff in the in the food chain. And she's brilliant. But we weren't obviously supposed to stay together. But you often stay together longer than is comfortable don't you and it's never right for the kids and they end up being used as pawns and stuff like that in in the relationship i've heard so many people say my parents stayed together for longer than they should i wish they'd split up i feel that too you know i completely understand that because um i come from a family where my mom divorced my dad and then she remarried and one of the hardest thing was seeing an her unhappy and the new marriage and she's still with him wow. 30 odd years later and i know that she loves this person but i know she's not happy with this person and she just puts up with it because she doesn't want to divorce she doesn't want to break everything that she created in these 30 years yeah it it, it reminds me of that um that Pink Floyd line, one of the songs, hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. Uh, I think I think this goes across many cultures, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. It does, absolutely. You know, in Italy, we've got the culture of, oh, what will the neighbour think? You know, <laughs> it's still very present. It's like, oh, my God, what will others think of this? If I, if I divorce, what will they think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a... a I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on a podcast before, but it was my, my father, I think, doing that killed him. You know, he, he moved up here in 1998. He was living down south. I was living up north here. In fact, you've kind of followed us around because you were, or we followed you around. Which way around is it? No, you followed us around. Because Kingston, I grew up down there and in Windsor and also Walton-on-Thames, and, and that's where they lived. Oh, my and, God. And they were in Walton-on-Thames in Surrey. And then you're up here now and, and we've moved up here to, to sort of Lancashire and, and that kind of area. And um, they um, they moved up to be nearer to my son, you know, uh, 1998 or so. 
and and he was say you know nine years old or whatever and he was playing cricket my dad loved cricket and so they used to go to cricket together and he used to be in this little team and whatever and it was great they 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 moved up and my father lost all his friends and so he didn't have that support because they were all down south and then the relationship of course that amplifies the relationship now they had this huge great barn conversion place they bought up here and it was sort of an l shape like two houses and he used to come through a few times a day I, I moved in there and sold my house because I thought you know I'll, I'll go live we have this big family unit be great I haven't seen them for ages you know and he comes through about 20 times a day do you know what she's done now do you know what she's said now because he was stuck with her but he stayed out of duty and I only just found out uh, that that there was somebody who he really did love and he never went to her because of a sense of duty and he used to get like one phone call a week where he used to take my son to cricket and he'd have this little phone call with this lady called Josie. And he'd, he'd have a little phone call with her around the back of the pavilion or something, you know, and, and then he'd go home and sort of be sort of uh, uh, loyal to my mother and whatever, but hang on in there. And then, and then one day he, he just started losing the sight out of one side. And it wasn't, it was interesting, emotional one, because it wasn't, um, it wasn't anything to do with his eye. It was obviously a brain tumor, but they didn't diagnose that and they killed him in the end. He was in hospital for a month. They blew his heart up and killed him when it was a perfectly easily operable brain tumor. And it was so obvious. I mean, he probably might even still be alive if I'd known then what I know now. But he started to lose the sight. And then you see, he was always there. They were either on the sofa watching TV or they were in the car. My mother was always on the same side. And I think it was an emotional thing where he just had enough. His whole life was just desperation of just being stuck with, this woman who who you know she wasn't evil or anything it's just that she was always very quietly disapproving all the time and it chips away and and then it's funny when he died i found i found josie's number and i phoned her up to tell her and she just went oh peter you silly man you know and i just of not going with his heart and i i i phoned her up and chatted to her and i thought i know exactly why you like this woman she was great you know, and I thought, because I told him, go to her. Oh, well, what, what about the responsibility? What about, you know, I need to leave you money. I need to do, I need, sod that, I said to him, you go and live your life, you know. And it's amazing, isn't it? This is so common. I'm sorry, I waffled on about that, but I just sort of, you know, it reminded me of it. But it's a, it's, it's a kind of beautiful story, really, but a real sad one, because I don't know if Josie's even still alive. Maybe I should look her up now. She was a bit younger than him, so she might be still alive. But my mum lived another sort of 15 years after him. And I sort of looked after and realised what he'd gone through in that time because she was very difficult. And, and to, 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 you know, this, this desperation, isn't it, in everything. And because of the financial stuff that we're put through now, we're forced to stay in jobs that we don't want to stay in and, and, and just everything that we don't want to do. How, how do you feel? Because I often tell people, you know, in consults, what is it that you really want to do? It's not all about diet. It's not even about anything. How does somebody find their, their path in life? How does somebody find, you know, how true they are? You have this course and tell me how people as well at the end of this, because it might be a good time to wrap this up, you know, but tell people how they can find that to find more about it. Give them a little hint of how they can get out of these things in jobs, relationships, find their own true self and move on. Because that seems to be something that you're, you're, you're so focused on and it's so important. It all starts with self-awareness. The first step is always self-awareness but if you stop at self-awareness you're just miserable because you're just put staying put in that situation like your dad did you're self-aware you know that you're not on the right path you know that you're not in the right situation you know that you're not true to yourself but you stay 
So that is a terrible fight. It's a very hard choice to make and I wouldn't recommend it to anybody because that is the biggest form of self-abandonment you can ever, ever do to yourself. And then there is other steps. There is the embodiment part that is so necessary. And this connects very much to nutrition as well. Embodiment is fundamental to actually being able to understand your preferences because it's all about preferences ultimately what we want and need is based on our own preferences and it's innate we all have preferences like i mean i don't like chocolate ice cream for example i know everybody else does but i don't like chocolate ice cream so neither do i oh there you go last one So the thing is that if we don't um, understand our own preferences, we cannot take awareness of what we actually want in life and we cannot surround ourselves with people, scenarios and so on. So we cannot make the choices that will provide us that outcome. And then there is a lot of inner work that needs to be done. There is a a lot of looking into your own shadow looking into your original wounds as a kid because we all do have them there is no such thing as a perfect family there is no such thing as a perfect upbringing upbringing I always say to my kids I'm sure that you will have to deal with some trauma when you grow up that I gave you and I didn't want to give you but you will have the tools to repair that because I'm trying to teach you already now that while you're growing up what you need to know in order to metabolize things events that are not good for you because trauma is being stuck in time basically trauma is being stuck emotionally in time in an event and your body will react to it accordingly because it's stored in the body so if you are able to process that to elaborate that emotion after that event happened you're able to undo the knot basically it's like a knot it's like there was a knot in your body and that is your trauma and you need to undo the knot and untie it so this is something that everybody can learn including my nine-year-old kid that I am teaching these tools and it's very important as well to have that um, that from somebody that has done that because I was talking to my business coach today because I've got a coach too (laughs) and to align yourself to a different level and experience in your life you need external help it's like having a ladder to climb so if you've got that help externally to climb up and getting where you want to go it's a lot easier and it's like jumping from a timeline to another and you can mathematically align to that new reality you want. But you need that external input because otherwise you're still lost in that circling around and not going anywhere. You're just going in circles and repeating patterns. That's what we do because human beings are habitual creatures. We just do the same shit over and over again. So it's very important to understand the triggers the wounds that have built your outlook in life for example the being an empath is something that uh, it's a double-edged sword (laughs) I don't know what do you think about empaths personally 
Well, I, I, I don't know, really. I mean, it's I think that um, some people sort of claim to be them and it's this wonderful new sort of label that you can put on yourself and they might not be at all. And I think sort of true empaths don't even really realize they're empaths or put a label on it because they're so used to it happening, you know, that they really do have that true empathy with other people. And when I look at these, again, it's a sort of definition of it. And, you know, you have to fall into this exact bracket of am I an empath or am I not? I, I don't know. Everybody's probably got an element of it. And nobody's got, you know, like you say, exactly right, that the human condition is never exactly right. Is, every, is, is anybody ever a perfect empath? The ones who absolutely claim to be a perfect empath are probably, probably like the ones who claim to have had the absolute truth. You know, look look for people who are looking for truth, not ones who have found it. And so because they're 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 usually I'm pretty still serious. searching. Yeah, I'm yeah. still searching and I'm not done yet. Yeah, aren't we all? Aren't we all? And to admit to that is perfect. Yeah. So that's the thing. When you are to me, empathy is attunement. Being able to attune to somebody else. It's like a frequency. You just enter that frequency that the other person is on. And you can do that even remotely with people. Mm. Once you actually master it for yourself, you need to have empathy for yourself first. You need to have attunement to yourself in order to be able to comprehend it into others. So that's self-mastery, really. And that creates relationships around you that are completely different because they come from a place of raw honesty. Yeah. There is no bullshitting. There is no self-gaslight. There is no none of the shit that we do, no social construct that makes you do the things you do. You do things because you really want to do them. Yeah. And that that also brings us to another level, really, which is... is you know, how spirituality has been co-opted of you must get rid of all your desires. You know, we have our desires simply because that leads us through our life. You know, as you say, we have our preferences, we have our desires. But again, you know, there's little nuggets of truth among little, little, little diamonds among the dog shit in, in spirituality. But most of it's rubbish and most of it's leading us away, isn't it? We must get rid of our... Um, our desires and we must you know i mean sexual desires for example they're tremendously evil and all that we must squash them down and what happens there you know every time that gets repressed then you end up with pedophilia and god knows what like in the catholic church and everything needs exactly. to be squashed down so yes you know it's the acceptance of who we are really on all levels as a human being isn't it it's the total acceptance which is the opposite of what they're trying to do they're literally trying to squash every angle if you look at it they're trying to squash everywhere where you could actually have a voice, a preference, uh, an identity. Everywhere. Everywhere you actually have an identity with, they're trying to destroy it. Clinically, <laughs> like mathematically, with a real effort. And yes, this is very dangerous, really, is, is the opposite of what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is reconnecting people with themselves in order for them to being able to attune to other human beings and to find their soul companions, their soul family, because otherwise you cannot do that. You will just reject them because you're scared. Yes. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Nicole, thank you so much. And, and this, where can people find you if they want to get your help on something like this? I mean, we'll put some links underneath, but how can they find you? 
They can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. I publish a lot of free content for everybody to enjoy and to help. And yeah, I'm I'm always a message away. I'm always happy to talk to people because that's what I love the most, talking to people and yeah, and help them. That's fantastic. Well, we'll get all the links down there to, Thank to, you. to all your stuff. And um Thank you so much. And I'll Thank see you. you at the end of the week, won't I? At Carry On Camping. I can't wait to squeeze we'll you. We'll be at the same place. <laughs> <laughs> I can't oh, wait God. to squeeze you. Oh. Thank you so much, Phil. Son of a lighthouse keeper Through cars and a wishing well